Ecclesiastes is found on page 656, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're just going to read a couple of verses because we're going to work through basically all of chapter 2 in the sermon. We don't need to read it twice, but here's the, the kind of one of the summaries, one of the main themes coming out of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. Last week, we started our series through Ecclesiastes, and we read the, the whole first chapter. You can look at it there of, of what the, how there's a, there's a text uh, that Ecclesiastes starts with, and then we spend the next about 10 chapters of the teacher kind of interpreting or expounding upon this opening of the book of Ecclesiastes. We, we talked about the terms of vanity and, and under the sun, these two very important terms to remember when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity not meaning the, the piece of furniture that you have at home that has the mirror that you sit down and, and put your makeup on. Does anybody have vanities anymore? It's more of an antique piece of furniture now. But, you know, not, not that kind of a vanity um, and not the person who is, uh, we say they're full of vanity, they're consumed with their, with their looks and how they appear. But it's an it's, it's idea of meaningless or futility, some versions say. Futility of futilities or meaningless all is meaningless. And when he's saying vanity of vanities, it isn't, it's, a, it's a used for emphasis in the same way you might say someone is a, a man among men, or we say Jesus is the Lord of lords. There's, there's a way of emphasis. And so when the writer says vanity of vanities, he's just emphasizing this cold, hard, pessimistic reality of, of the meaninglessness of life. Normally, this week we're just, we're going to, so last week we talked about vanity of vanities and the idea of him saying all is vanity under the sun. That's a very important term to remember as you go through the book of Ecclesiastes, this reality of under the sun. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing is he's looking at life from a purely naturalistic standpoint. If there's no one above the sun... If all we have is life under the sun, and he's going to dive into the reality that if this life is all there is, vanity of vanities, meaningless, 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 all is futility, everything is, is grasping at smoke, that's kind of what's, it's vapor, everything is vapor, you try to, you, you can see smoke, you can see it when it's out there, but if you, if you try to grab it and, and hang on to it, when you open your hand, it's gone. And he's, if, if life under the sun is all we have, the writer is saying everything is meaningless. Now, normally, if you're reading a book of the Bible, uh, Paul might come along. If you're reading a New Testament, he'll, uh, he'll, a New Testament epistle, he'll come along and he'll present a problem. And then he's going to answer it, right? He's going to say, you know, what we just read from Romans, he puts out a, a problem and then he goes on and says, well, okay, you might say this, but now let me give you the answer. Well, the trouble with Ecclesiastes and why it's such a, such a difficult book is he never really gives an answer. <laughs> he just keeps digging into the problem. 
He just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into the problem. That's not, Ecclesiastes is just a book forcing us to look without any rose-colored glasses at the darkness of life and our own divided hearts. There are no easy answers in this book, and that's not the point of the book. You don't, uh, you know, go to Ecclesiastes to try to, it's not like a book like Proverbs. It's not a, a New Testament epistle or where we try to go and just get answers to these life questions that we have. It's not the point of Ecclesiastes. It's like, imagine as I walk around, I see kids doing this a lot, and I always think this is a terrible idea, but they're out riding on their bikes in the summer, and what do they do? They, they find an old board, and they take a few bricks and they set it down and they put an old board on it and pretty soon they're ramping uh, on this board. And it's like, it's like a kid, Ecclesiastes is, is like the dad who's in the yard, okay? And he walks outside and he sees the kids on, they've got a stack of cement blocks and some board and he looks at it and he says, stop, right? He says, stop, give me your bike and a few more bricks. Let me show you how it's really done. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is like. Stop, kids. Give me your bike. I'm really going to show. And, and by the way, mom, get out here. Get the camera out. I want you to record this so we can all remember how this goes. That's what Ecclesiastes is doing. It's walking out into the yard and it's saying, yeah, things are bad, but let me show you. Let's really, let's, let's amp this up a little bit. Let's put a few extra bricks under the board. Let's get a, let's get a full-grown man and let's, let's, let's ramp this thing and see how it goes. And that's what Ecclesiastes is doing. Let's take this risk up a few notches. And Solomon is going to take all of these things that we think will give us joy. This pursuit that we're all after. Meaning, purpose, joy, happiness. Searching, 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 searching. Finding, coming up empty, coming up dissatisfied, coming up uh, full of sorrow, searching, maybe the next thing, maybe the next thing. Solomon's going to take all of these things that we think will give us joy, dig into them deeper than we ever could, and show us how empty they truly are. I said last week, it's, a, it's the other, another illustration. He's, we always think we're going to lean this ladder and climb this ladder and get to the top, and that's where we're going to find the fulfillment. And Solomon has leaned every ladder up against the wall, climbed to the top of them, looked over the fence, and he's coming back down to tell us, there's nothing over there. There's nothing, there's nothing over the wall. You're climbing, you're climbing and climbing, and there's nothing to climb to. That's what Ecclesiastes is doing. Some of the questions that we're asking through this series are questions like, what is the meaning of of it all. And there is, it's not an easy question. <laughs> it's not an easy question, but it's what makes this book so interesting. We aren't just given some trite answer that, you know, we could, I could tell you all sorts of trite, you know, remedies or things to walk out the door with. But when you walk out into the rigors and the difficulty of life, so many of those trite answers, those, the memes we see on our social media and all these, these, these help tips when they actually hit the ground in the difficulty of life, they don't, really, they don't really pay off. This term, under the sun, is one of these super important books or terms in this book. It's speaking of an existence without a transcendent reality. If this life is all there is. Life without God is life under the sun. And that life no matter how hard you try to fill it with meaning, it, it doesn't have it. If it is life under the sun, with no real beginning, we come out of the soup, 
and then in five billion years, we're going to end up as soup. If there's no beginning with no meaning and no ending with no meaning, then none of it has any meaning in the middle. And all of it is vanity. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is going after. If there is no real beginning, no real ending, no sovereign transcendent ruler over it all, it is a life under the sun that is meaningless. One of the verses to remember, what we just what we started off our, this, this morning with. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? You look around the world today, toil, 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 toil. And what do we gain under the sun? And the answer is nothing. But here's the thing. We don't believe him. We don't believe the writer of Ecclesiastes. He comes to us and he says, there's no gain in the things of this world apart from their place in a world governed by God, but we don't buy it. Or we might say, well, yeah, of course, I don't, I'm not trying to find my satisfaction. We might give mental assent or agree in theory that we're not searching for our fulfillment in the things of this life. But functionally, our functional behavior betrays us so often because we're still out there searching. We're still out there investing energy in all of these things apart from God just in this life, and we are still dissatisfied. We are still dissatisfied. We think we can beat the system, and that's why Ecclesiastes has to get so dark. We aren't convinced. We think we can beat the system. It's why sitting down with this book is such a powerful antidote to dissatisfaction, not because it gives us the answers of saying, no, this is where satisfaction is found because it pulls back the curtain. It reveals, it points out how our modern dissatisfaction comes from seeking satisfaction in areas that were never meant to satisfy. It pulls back the curtain. It's like the, the Wizard of Oz. Finally, finally you see the facade that it is. That is what this book is driving towards. It, it reveals to us we're investing all of our energy in finding satisfaction, meaning, and joy in all these things that were never meant to carry that kind of weight. When we try to find our meaning, satisfaction, and joy in the things under the sun, apart from their place in the cosmos as God has made it, we end up crushing the th object we were putting our hope in and hurting ourselves. It's like trying to pull a an immovable building with a, with a tow rope that's not capable for it. And you, you jerk as hard as you can with a tow rope and you're, you're standing out there trying to get the thing pulled down, but the object never gives you what it wants and then the tow rope breaks and you just end up ripped by the, by the thing you were trying to accomplish. That's what happens when we're trying to find our meaning in the things under the sun apart from God. So look at these categories. So you still have your Bible out here in Ephes or Ecclesiastes chapter uh, one verse 12 he speaks about the vanity of wisdom he's i the preacher been king over israel and jerusalem and i applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven it is an unhappy business that god has given the children of man to be busy with i have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and is striving after a wind what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted that's a fascinating statement. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. 
I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The first place he's going to look is in knowledge. I'm going to just learn everything. And maybe if I know enough, then I'll, I'll have it figured out. And then I'll be satisfied. So if I just know it all, then I'll be happy. But that reality comes back to bite him. Because as we've all learned, the more you know, the more you realize all that you don't know. It's like, uh, you, you know, your kids, Joel just went through kindergarten and they start learning how to count, you know, and he gets up to count to 100. And, you know, you, so you, you, you endure the, the long process of a kid. Dad, I can count to 100. Do you want to hear not really, but okay, yeah, let's do it. So then they count to 100, and then what do you do when they get to 100? You go 101, 102, and, they're, and all of a sudden, they, they, what? It took me so long to get to 100. There's more? You know? And so they know, oh, yeah, you can count to 1,000. And then if they ever count to 1,000, what do you do? You burst their bubble and you say, 1,001. And, and, and all these, they, they climb these hurdles. I've learned so much. And they get to the end of where they've learned, and they realize, oh, there's a lot I don't know yet. And that's what Solomon realizes. The more you learn, the more you understand, the more you know, the more you begin to realize, oh, I, there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I don't understand. And so this is what Solomon is doing. He's saying, I, I, I went after this knowledge. I, I got all the books. I got all the best learning. And I got to the end of it and realized there's so much I yet still don't understand. That's, it's vanity. It's vanity. It's, it's meaningless. The second thing he pursues here is in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 2. Listen to this one. This is so powerful. If you don't, we'll stop at verse 12 because I want this to kind of, kind of hit, with, hit the, where he's, hear the, the, the pull of what he's pursuing. Chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my own heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil and this was my reward for all my toil. Now we stop there and we hear that and that man is living the American dream. 
I mean, it's, I mean if, if, that's, if we could just cut that bit out in Ecclesiastes, we think this is a book of encouragement. What a great book, you know, would just pursue your pleasure, pursue gold and silver, pursue uh, just pleasures, get gardens, get, build pools, you know, sit around and relax and be served and have the best bands and singers and musicians just come and entertain you. Just live a life of ease and entertainment and enjoyment and pleasure. What a, what a dream. This guy's living it. Until we get to verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, all was meaningless, all was vapor, striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. For all of his work, the day is still done and he's still just himself. And all the toil that he has brought has only brought him really handfuls of smoke. Nothing. Just, just another day. And then he's going to go on because he realizes at the end of the day he's going he's to die and then who has all this? So he turns to this next pursuit. He's going to live wisely. Starting in verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. No matter if you're wise or if you're a fool, at the end of the day, same thing happens to us all. As Job says, naked I came into this world, naked shall I depart. doesn't matter wise, doesn't matter fool, it all ends up the same. I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For, the, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that the days to come all have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done, here's the term, what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. So what now? Maybe he can find joy in his work. We move on. Verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. He's just bringing up the reality. We work so hard all of our lives to amass all of these things. And then we finally reach a point where we've made it and then we die. And then it just goes to somebody else. What was the point of all of that? If, if, if under the sun is all that there is, that was really a waste. That's what he's diving into. It's a, it's a, it's a deep, tough book. So I turned up, I turned, verse 20, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Nothing better. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is a vanity 
and striving after the wind. Down and down and down into despair, the writer of Ecclesiastes goes. This is a, this is a bath. This is, this is supposed to be washing the reality, revealing the reality of the senselessness of our pursuits under the sun. And now we read that and immediately our, we're, we're, we're predisposed to have a couple reactions to that. And the first one is, the first antidote to thinking everything is meaningless is just busyness, Okay. So if I don't want to embrace the right of Ecclesiastes mentality that all my life under the sun, if this is all it is, is meaningless, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to keep busy. If I can just keep something in front of my eyes, if I can just keep moving, if I can uh, dory in uh, Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. If I can just keep swimming. Just, that was a reference to miss everybody but a few of you. But some of you got it. If I can just keep going, just keep busy, then I won't be faced with the reality that this, if, if life under the sun is all there is, I've got nothing. So we just keep busy. Our modern age loves to feed you things to keep busy with. That Instagram feed, that Facebook feed, that Twitter feed, that, that, so, that never ends. You can just keep scrolling, just keep scrolling, just keep scrolling. Because by the time you get to the bottom, it's, oh, see, there's new posts. And then you go up and you just keep, and just keep yourself busy. Don't think about the reality of your life. Just keep busy. That's one, that's a very popular antidote to really dealing with what the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about. But the other one is just to double down on the illusion. Okay, I can't keep busy enough, but maybe, maybe, maybe this time, maybe it was, I'm, I'm dissatisfied. This thing I thought was going to give me the joy doesn't give it to me, but maybe the next one will. And so we just trick ourselves. No, but no, the next thing really will. The next thing, that really will make the difference. And this the attitude one author that I read uh, describes in his book. He writes like this. He says, he says this, the reality is we spend our lives trying to escape the constraints of our created condition. Opening our eyes to this is a significant breakthrough. To be human is to be a creature. And to be a creature is to be finite. We are not God. We are not in control and we will not live forever. We will die. But we avoid this reality by playing let's pretend. Let's pretend. He goes on to say, let's pretend that if we get the promotion or see the church grow or bring up good children, we'll feel significant and leave a lasting legacy behind us. Let's pretend that if we change jobs or immigrate to the sun, we won't experience the humdrum tedium and ordinariness of life. Let's pretend that if we move to a new house, we'll be happier and we'll never want to move again. Let's pretend that if we end one relationship and start a new one, we won't ever feel trapped. Let's pretend that if we were married or weren't married, we would be content. Let's pretend that if we had more money, we would be satisfied. Let's pretend that if we get through this week's pile of washing and dirty diapers and shopping lists and school runs and busy evenings, next week will be quieter Let's pretend that time is always on our side to do the things we want to do and become the people we want to be. Let's pretend we can break the cycle of repetition and finally arrive in a world free from weariness. <laughs> that's, that's Ecclesiastes. That's one of the antidotes that's, give, antidotes that's given to us. Just pretend. So what happens with all this pretending? You descend deeper and deeper into the reality of meaninglessness. A meaninglessness that is all you can find in life apart from the creator, under the sun. 
So where can we turn? Ecclesiastes, I've said, doesn't give any answers. It just, it just, it's, it's just washing off the facade, just soaking us in this, this hard reality of what life under the sun is like. And so it doesn't really give us any good answers. It just tells us all the things that are wrong. So we've got to go to other places. And I've got several of these marked out for the rest of the series. But this morning, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, just one verse. But a powerful thought coming from Paul, the apostle, in his book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. In this passage, there's this powerful reordering of who we are and who our lives belong to under the sun. We are not our own. We are not our own. Part of the reason why there is so much dissatisfaction and hurt within ourselves and our search for meaning is that we place all of that weight and burden upon ourselves. We demand that we are the ones who create the purpose and meaning for our lives. We're told that over and over again. If you want there to be meaning, go out and find it. Create it. If you want something to happen, you make it happen. You are the master of your destiny. We buy the lie that says life is what we make of it. And so we better get to making something of it. And what happens when we go out and try to make it and it falls short? We're placing all this emphasis in something never made to hold that kind of weight. But what if the point wasn't to write your own story, but to discover and embrace your part in the story that the creator of the universe is already writing. What if it isn't all up to you? What if you're not the master of the narrative? What if, now don't be offended, but, but hear me. What if you aren't the starring role in the narrative of the universe? What if it isn't all about you? What if it's all about something else? What if it's all about someone else? And, and the liberating reality when that comes along, that life is not about you. You have a part, in, but it is not loaded with all this weight for you to go out and find meaning. Darla and I went to a concert this past week, and it was a great show. But Darla noticed one of these jobs, uh, a guy playing, a singer-songwriter playing guitar and singing. And one of the person's jobs was just to bring out guitar. Every time the song would get over, either a new tuning or he'd go to acoustic or something like that, he'd bring out a new guitar to him. And Darla's like, well, how would you like that job? Just to, you know, you just travel around just to carry out guitars and get confused, hope you don't bring out the wrong guitar. But all you did is just bring out guitars all day long. Why? There are tons of little jobs like that that people are doing, right? And for me, I thought, I'd love to be the guy bringing out the guitars. In fact, I'd love to be the guy that just sits in the back with a handful of picks just waiting for him to drop one so I could run out and just bring out some little insignificant job. And the, but the reason why, the reason why, don't, don't lose, the reason why I would be glad to be the guy carrying out guitars or holding picks is because I know how hard it is to play guitar and I don't want to be the guy out front doing the singing and playing. That, I can't handle that. That, that, is, that is way too big for me. I'm much more happy to be the guy just bringing out the guitars or bringing out the picks. But if I was convinced I should be there, I'd be miserable holding the picks. I'd be miserable bringing out the guitars because I'd be out there in the stands thinking, that should be me up there. This should be about me. And so therefore, I'm very dissatisfied with what role 
I am giving. If I thought I deserved to be him, the person with all the, the attention, then I would think my role was miserable. I'd be extremely dissatisfied, disgruntled, and dis depressed. But if I know that I'm not the point, then I'm glad to live in the role that has been given to me. I'm glad to find the meaning in the part that God has given for me to play. What is that role? Well, if you're a Christian in this place this morning, it is the role of a recipient of the grace of God. Every single one of us searching for satisfaction in a thousand things other than the one true God who give it, gives it, we are idolaters, turning up our noses at God in countless ways in rebellion against him and his world. And for this, we deserve justice. But instead... He sends his son to take the justice we deserve upon himself. And now through that work, by grace and the gift of faith, we can know this God and we can know our true place and meaning and belonging, not being our own, but being his because we've been bought with a price. Therefore, our meaning and purpose and value and significance is not found in the things we can accomplish, but is found in the one who has bought us, who has redeemed us, who has made us his own. That's where we're able to find our significance. Then this search begins to fade. We enjoy things in this life as they're properly meant to be enjoyed because our significance is truly found where it is meant to be found in being His. When Christ saves an individual, they are bought with a price. They are no longer their own, which means they are no longer doomed to search for meaning out there under the sun apart from God. They no longer have to kill themselves trying to make meaning in the world by the strength of their own hand, but they can rest in the meaning that comes from being one of God's own beloved children. May God help us to embrace our lives as creatures in our Father's world. Let's pray. Father, help us right now. Help us, God, to see you for the glorious God that you are. Father, I pray for any in this room that, that do not know you as their God and Savior. Father, I pray that right now by the Holy Spirit, you would work repentance that we could know our lives as we are out searching. And so many of us who, who do know Christ, still wrestling, looking for this satisfaction in this life under the sun apart from you, we could know that that pursuit is pointless. Turn from it and look not to what we can buy for ourselves, but look to the one who has bought us with his very own blood to find our purpose, our meaning, our satisfaction, our pleasure, our treasure in you, in Christ your son, and in you alone. Help us now, God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.